Well, good morning, friends. This is podcast number 415 for Thursday, November 11th. We're in our series on the Apostles' Creed. Let's look at our memory verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, the word of truth meaning the scripture. As we get into the Apostles' Creed, we were first of all started looking at God uh, yesterday. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Um, it's essential that we believe in God. He revealed himself uh, through nature, but he also reveals himself, himself through his Son and through the Word. He is therefore a personal God who doesn't hide himself but desires to be known. He revealed himself by the characteristic of the term father. Now, it's it's imperative that we understand what this means because there's a couple things that we'll need to deal with today. There's a couple fallacies or or errors that we need to make sure that we 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 don't get into. One that he is the father of everyone. That would be universalism. He is the creator of everyone. But that doesn't mean that he uh, every he has to save everyone. We're not his children. We're his creation. And two, we can't adjust our thinking uh, and adjust scripture to match our thinking and try to make God something other than he is. The Bible is replete with mentioning, mentioning that God is father. Now, when it says that God is father, it it. It means from a personal perspective. It doesn't mean from a male gender perspective because the Bible says in in uh, John chapter 4, 24, that God is a spirit. We understand that. from But from a way to reveal himself on a personal level, God has revealed himself as the Father and Jesus as the Son. So let's look at uh, John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to take my time this morning and, and make sure that I explain myself well, because this is something that the church is facing um, now with everybody trying to reinterpret what the Bible says. John chapter 1, verse 14. We're talking about Jesus here, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For us to understand this relationship of father and son, it is vital for us to understand that Jesus was before, he always will be, and he came and wrapped himself in human flesh as the son of God. And so the personal relationship of the father God and the son does not mean that God was Male. It means that he um, revealed himself as father. I hope that's under, uh, understandable. John chapter 4, again, verse 24, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And so with every attack on the scripture to try to change things that that I, I was at a service one day when God when a, when a man uh, said we pray to father God mother God and all of these other things trying to make God this generic thing that would cover everything and and we we just can't make those things 
uh, happen. We need to understand that God has revealed himself. Whether we like it or not, God has revealed himself as the Father and the Father Almighty. Now turn to John chapter 10 and verse 30. We understand here, as we look at this, that there is one and only one God, but that God, within the Godhead, there are three distinct persons. The Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Complete in unity, God is three in one. And we need to understand that. That's not easy to explain to everyone, but the scripture does teach this, and we understand even at the baptism of Jesus when the Jesus, the Son, was being baptized, he comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven. There we see the Trinity in a beautiful picture. So look at John chapter 10 and verse 30, what Jesus says about his relationship with the Father. He says in John ten thirty, very short verse, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So Jesus makes this claim, and this is a claim that would get him in trouble with uh, the religious leaders because they thought it was blasphemous, but it was true. Jesus says of himself uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life again. We recognize from that statement that Jesus is saying, I am God. Uh, Look at John chapter 6 and verse 38. John 6 and verse 38, Jesus speaking says, For I have come down from heaven, meaning that I existed before, not to do um, whatever whatever I want to do, uh, or my own will, but the will of the him who sent me, the father who sent me. So we understand this relationship now. We understand that there's a father, there's a son, there's the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus, again, teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says, our father in heaven. And so he's speaking to his disciples here, um, and he says, he's not just my father, he's our father when you have a relationship with me. So how does this happen? How do we have this relationship with the Lord? Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. How do we become sons of this father? Because this is incredibly important. We are all created by him, but we are not all his sons and daughters. That is a myth. That is a heresy that's being perpetrated. And much of it is being perpetrated on Facebook where people say, oh, we're all just the children of God. No, we're not. We're all created by God. But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, There's that relationship, father, son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive, underline this, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. That is a scripture that you should memorize, those few verses. Because we see the Trinity there. We see the Father at work, the Son at work, and the Holy Spirit at work. And it's it's important that we understand that there are roles that need to be fulfilled or are fulfilled in the Godhead. God is one working in perfect unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. 
verses four and five. It appears that I'm teaching the Trinity, but it's so important that I that we understand that the role of the Father, God the Father, is a personal role rather than a masculine or specific. It emphasizes God's personality and in turn that the Father, Son, and Spirit as Trinitarian distinctions in contrast to impersonal entities. Um, he is not some God who is just transcendent, meaning that he's far away. He is also eminent, which means he is um, personal. He is with us. He didn't create the world, wind it up like a clock, and then walk away from it. He is active within the world. Let me read this to you um, in its entirety here. It says, the God of the Bible is a sexless God. When scripture speaks of God as he, the pronoun is primarily personal, generic, rather than masculine, specific. It emphasizes God's personality and in turn that of the Father, Son, and Spirit as Trinitarian distinctions in contrast to impersonal entities. What does that mean? God is a spirit, but he has revealed himself as they in a fatherly role and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one with him in um, unity, but different in roles that they complete. So we can't say, like the universalist wants to say, well, God is um, uh, our mother. No, we cannot change the language of the Bible to to, to fit our means. Um, um, feminists have said, uh, a famous feminist, Mary Daly, has said, if God is male, then then the male is God. No, that's not true. That's not what that statement means because God is neither male nor female. God is a spirit. But the language of the Bible and the and the 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 revelation of of God is God as our Father. Again, it is a role. It is it is His person. Uh, uh, him being personally involved with us and helping us to relate to him, it does not mean that he is a masculine. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 1. I hope I'm not making this clear as mud. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Again, there is the Father and there is the Son, and now we, through Jesus Christ, become the adopted sons. And if we are adopted, we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs with Christ. So we have this basis or foundation for saying that we believe in God the Father. He is the Father. Others have objected to calling God Father because they believe that for many, this term evokes abusive or absent fathers. In light of that sad fact, they argue this term should be jettisoned. But rather than look at male males or fathers on this earth in their in in their fallen humanity in the way that they 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 act sinfully we should rather look to god as the perfect example of what a father 
is. We are to see God's self-disclosure of his own character and his own being in Scripture as the ideal fatherhood. It is God the Father who defines what a human father must be like, not the other way around. Let me read that to you again. It is God the Father who defines what a human father must be like, not the other way around. The very fact that we know what a human father ought to be or they ought to be, like demonstrates that we know an ideal father does indeed exist. As a result, we will never recover family life and true understanding of fatherhood until we can affirm without hesitation or mental reservation that I believe in God the Father Almighty. So the role of the father should not be looked at in terms of humanity, but the ideal father is the father in heaven who loves us. So we believe in the father and we believe in the father almighty, not just the father, but the father almighty. The Apostles' Creed does not merely affirm, I believe in God, the Father, but it adds, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Just as God is personal, he is also all-powerful. God is imminent and he is transcendent. He is close and he is far away. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says, uh, one of the names for God is El Shaddai, which means God who is all-powerful. God who is all-powerful. And you say, well, that's what the Jews thought. Well, let's look at Daniel chapter 4 at a king who was a very ungodly king for most of his life. and But he was used by God to get the attention of um, his wayward children. In John chapter, or excuse me, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35, um, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says about God, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or who or say to him, what have you done? Here's Nebuchadnezzar, an ungodly king who says, God does as he pleases, and who can stay his will and who can stop what he does? No one. Even Nebuchadnezzar realized uh, that God was almighty. The word almighty is not just like strong. We need to make sure we understand that. But the word almighty is a collective uh, that is meant to represent all of God's attributes, the fullness of God's perfections. All God's attributes, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his self-existence, his immutability, which means he cannot lie, are all summed up in this word, almighty. Only the God who possesses the fullness of perfection and infinite majesty can truly be almighty and sovereign over creation. He is indeed our Father but he is our father almighty, which gives us the personal relationship, but also gives us the fact that we can trust God that no matter what, he is in control. He is all powerful. The God of Christianity is not, as one man said in that in the um, survey yesterday, an ordinary God. He is the father almighty the Father who can do anything, the Father who possesses all power, and the one who created by the power of his word and who rules forever. That's who our God is. He is mighty. He is powerful. Now, Genesis chapter 1-1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of the Bible establishes some central and essential truths about God, and I want you to write these down. First of all, God is eternal. In the beginning, God. 
God is eternal. He existed prior to creation. He always was. He always will be. Secondly, God is infinite. He wasn't bound by heaven or earth. He didn't need a heaven or an earth. God is infinite. God is everywhere. God is all-powerful. Third, God is omnipotent, not relying on anything in creation, meaning that God created from what was not. Okay? God wasn't bound by things. He's not bound by anything except his word. God is eternal. God is infinite. God is omnipotent. And God is independent, not relying on anything in creation. That's a powerful God, not an ordinary God. He's eternal, he's infinite, he's all-powerful, and he is independent, not relying on anything in creation. And that God, my friends, loves you and I. That God established the means for us to come back to him after Adam and Eve had sinned. He built a bridge back to himself because he loved us so much. I I often make this statement, God is not mad at us, he's madly in love with us, and I've had pushback on that, but the reality is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Jesus came willingly to die for our sins. That is love. That is the love of God. If we truly grasp this this opening phrase of Scripture, the rest of our theological conviction will fall rightly into a place. But if we fail to truly understand these opening words, we may find ourselves in the quicksand of idolatry. Why? Because if we don't have a proper understanding of who God is, we won't have a proper understanding of what this world is and who we are. That's why so many people have tried to destroy um, um, who God is. That's why atheism says all that matters is matter. That's why a, they don't recognize that there is a God behind the matter. They believe that the matter created the mind, which is God, but not in a, um, a deified sense, where we believe that both uh, God and matter exist. God controls both. God is the mind behind the matter. God is the source of everything. The creed starts with an affirmation that God is the Father Almighty, and this truth is also where our worship begins. In back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy or reverent is your name. What we believe about God, as Tozer says, is the most important thing that we will ever think. And our purpose in this study is to get a a clear understanding of who God is. He is our Father. He is Almighty. He is, tomorrow we'll look at, He's the maker of heaven and earth. So God's name can't be adjusted by, by social norms. He is our Father. And He is a personal God who has made Himself known so that you and I can know Him. No other religion, study it, no other religion in, in this world. God comes to man, but man has to make his way to God. God stopped all that, the real true God, when he sent his son in the form of Jesus Christ to make himself known to you and I. That's the God we worship. 
Let me pray for us in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.